My guest today is Roger Gallagher. He's the founder and president of Gallagher Remodeling and a friend of mine that I met in business school when we went there together. Hi, Roger. Hi, Adam. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, thanks for coming on today. So um, like we do talking before we started, I just want to talk more about uh, your business, how it came together, how it affects your life, all the good stuff we were going over. But first, why don't we just talk about what it is that you do? What is Gallagher Remodeling? What makes you special and what makes your what makes it a company? Well, we're uh, a design and remodeling company. Um, so we package together uh, both the design and the construction of uh, residential remodeling projects primarily. Uh, so that's kitchens and baths and additions and that sort of stuff. Um, and we've been doing that now for, uh, well, I've had the company for 34 years and um, We've been doing the work as a design build package for about 22 of those years. That was actually one of my first questions, because looking at all the um, pictures you've got going over here from your portfolio, everything's beautiful. And I know uh, a challenge that a lot of people have that I've had just in having things remodeled or working on that stuff is the disconnect between the design and the build. So uh, I was going to ask you how you handle that and if you work with designers. So you guys do the design as well as the construction so the homeowner can work with you from the idea all the way through uh right yeah that's the um that's the concept um we actually as a company outsource uh, a lot of those resources uh, just like we would outsource plumbing or electrical we outsource to a separate architectural firm and to a separate interior design firm to uh, collaborate with the homeowners to figure out all those decisions on um, how things are going to look and, and what the layout's going to be. Uh, but we also um, are able to comment from a construction point of view on the technical end of things and also price the actual work so that, you know, ultimately the goal is to get the design to uh, function and look like it's supposed to and get the budget to uh, behave like it's supposed to so mm -hmm. that, uh, you get those things all in alignment um, and include the homeowner's collaboration in all of those things. And it seems to be a really good formula for um, uh, successful projects. So are you then sort of project managing the design aspect of it and the architectural planning, and then you take it into production, so to speak, after it's done? Or is it hands off during the design more of a consultation on the feasibility of the construction that's the design's taking place? Uh, no, it's a highly managed process, you know, from beginning to end. And so um, we set a schedule for design development. And once the client commits to us, we set a schedule for design development, which includes, um, you know, the architect's work and the interior designer's work. Uh, often there's engineering involved at that point, um, and there are you know, other studies that we want to do up front, uh, often to understand what's going on, um, in the existing house, uh, we can do an asbestos survey, uh, to look for hazardous materials, um, on a recent project, we we're doing an air quality survey just to try to understand, um, the existing conditions in the house and how we might be able to affect those, uh, with the solution that we provide for the design. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it can be, a pretty uh, intensive upfront due diligence process to try to understand the project and what the client 
wants, uh, and then to sort that out um, so that we can have a contract to actually do the construction. And the construction, of course, is also a highly managed uh, process. Yeah, I'm sure. So um, do you typically put the homeowners in touch with the designers and the architects? In other words, they hire you or they come to you because they want a project done, and then you help to backwards architect that project through the designers and everybody, or is it a little bit of both? Sometimes the architect will bring you in. Sometimes the designer brings you in. Sometimes you're bringing them in. Um, most typically, um, the homeowner contacts our company. And one of the things we can offer is being sort of the one accountable source for everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, they say the buck stops here, you know, at, at the, at the president's desk and, and in our company, the way that it's structured, um, that's definitely the case. Uh, my role is, um, also to serve as, uh, you know, project manager, uh, production manager. Uh, so I wear, I wear a lot of hats, uh, and ultimately, you know, am responsible for managing all aspects of the, of the project. And, you know, to some homeowners, that's, that's attractive that there isn't, you know, sort of a fragmented process. I mean, another way to do this is to hire an architect, have the architect draw you what you want with no idea of how much it's going to cost. And then you send that out for bid and you get a bunch of prices back that don't have anything to do with what you thought the price was going to be. Right. So then you, and they have to be inflated for safety sake because they didn't work with you on the design and they don't have probably have a lot of questions as the builder on what's going to have to happen. So if you're just looking for a price then it's going to have to be, it's going to have to take oops into account. Right. Sure. Uh, yeah, there's definitely, uh, contingencies that are added in and, um, you know, often what I found when, uh, before we did design build, we'd get a design and it would have, you know, products specified that were, um, unusual or particularly expensive. And of course we would just follow the plan and price those things out and then meet with the homeowner to talk about the price and they would be shocked at how expensive the price was. And I would say, well, you wanted this, you know, really exotic hardwood, you know, as a finish for your deck or, right. you know, whatever the case was. And, um, they would say, I, well, I, I didn't ask for that. Like it wasn't something I wanted. And so the community, like you don't know what the communication is, um, between other parties, um, until you become part of it. And I just wasn't part of that conversation. Yeah. We, I face something fairly similar where I'm similar to you. Everything stops at my desk and I'm involved with all the projects. I don't like to be too hands off cause I'd like to know what's going on, but in, in pricing the type of work that we do, um, Similar. Sometimes people just come to the table and say, I want a website. What does it cost? Like, well, that's a, it's a loaded question you know, that we, we got to talk about what it is you want from your website. What's a reality for your business? Because same as the person with the exotic hardwoods that we could build you a website for 10,000 or 250,000. What do you need the website to do? What, what, ha what kind of work has to go into that website for it to come to life? Right. And if we don't define that ahead of time, then it's a, it's sort of a um, effort and futility for me to give you uh, just a ballpark quote. So early, early in the business, I would always chase business. And I would, you know, if someone wanted to quote, I thought that was like an open window. Great. We have, we have a chance here, but now uh, if something doesn't have a fairly defined scope or at least a wish list, and people have a balanced idea of what they want, 
then I'm no, I can't give you a quote. I can't, I'm not going to, I can't, I can't just run, you know, for the hills, hoping that it's all going to work out. We have to sit down. We have to talk. We have to bring your idea into a manageable spectrum and then talk about what's it's actually going to take to make it happen. So it sounds like similarly, homeowners could get caught in the trap of just, Oh, I want this, but then they're a hundred thousand dollars past what they could have possibly done as opposed to you can help them actually plan for what they can do to their house and actually get it done. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, we found it's really useful to talk about the money and the project together from the very beginning. Right. Um, cause if you don't know where you're going with either one of those, then who knows where you'll end up and it may be someplace where you're not happy. Um, so, uh, one thing we find useful is to sort of base, uh, project budgets on, you know, sort of a baseline, like, you know, in recent experience with projects like what you've described to me, you know, the, the baseline might be about X. And, um, as I told someone the other day, the sky's the limit sort of above and beyond that. And, you know, as a business owner, sometimes you learn that the hard way when somebody says, oh, I'm going to want some really expensive stuff. And you say, yeah, yeah. You know, how expensive could it be? Mm -hmm. And then you find out like what they really want is really above and beyond what you could have imagined someone would um, spend on a project or would want to invest in their home. And, you know, sometimes those when they really get through the process of discovery and find out you know, what it's really going to cost. Sometimes those projects go south and don't happen. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, you're surprised at what people want for their quality of life and, um, to invest in their home and they decide to go for it anyway. And, mm -hmm. um, so it's, uh, uh, you certainly never know where it's going to go, the design development process and it is an evolution and people have ideas along the way. And, you know, usually when you look back at where you end up, from where you started, um, you know, it's definitely a journey. I'm sure it is. And it's mostly interior remodels that you guys do. It's or additions and remodels. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and, and we tend to, uh, bring more value, I think, to the more complicated projects. And so those are kitchens and baths and additions and, um, projects that involve a lot of different trade disciplines and the coordination of a lot of different materials and installations, mm. um, you know, as opposed to something like an exterior project where you're, you know, stripping and replacing a roof or uh, single trade projects like somebody wants an air conditioning system, um, you know, in some cases, uh, those involve a number of trades and people know that we'll have a team put together that will do a good job on that project. And so they want to go to a general contractor and, um, and work with our resources and they're happy to pay for that and support the company. Maybe they're a past client and they've worked with us before and they appreciate the processes that we, and procedures that yeah. we bring to the whole thing. But, Reliability. Uh, Probably. Yeah. And just, yeah. And knowing that there's some oversight, because I mean, you know, in this area, particularly, you have a lot of, um, you know, uh, working professionals that are also busy parents and raising families and people who just, you know, want to spend their time 
either on their profession or raising their family and yeah. doing things other than trying to manage a project, which, you know, they may or may not have done once or twice, you know, at other times in their lives, but really don't know that much about it. Mm -hmm. I know, I know it's a full-time job for me. So, you know, you can imagine if you've never done it, um, how much work it is. And look, just looking at the pictures here and just your website and knowing you in the past, it looks like uh, it looks like high end finishes and beautiful work and really well designed. That was why I had the first question about how you work with design to get it done, because it all looks everything looks like it goes together. But I imagine with that comes sort of the careful planning that you're alluding to and also probably a careful building of a team. Right. You can't just grab anyone and then end up with a beautiful finished project. You can't you need to have people that are skilled in what they're doing and understand the the level of finish. I mean, it seems like it might, what, what, how's it been over the years to develop a crew that you can rely on, that you know that you're going to end up with the results that we see here in these photos? Well, that's been one of the big challenges, I think along the way, um, you know, diving into design builds, all of a sudden we needed, um, you know, in 1996, we needed a lot of resources that we, didn't have available to us, um, before that we didn't need before. Uh, and so, and then how we approach that has evolved. Um, I think it was maybe 10 or 12 years after we started doing design build, we did a whole house remodel project with a client where we, you know, literally stripped everything off the outside of the house and out of the inside of the house and dug the basement down a foot wow. and, put everything all new in the house. And it was just a property where we couldn't build new. And so the existing structure needed to be remodeled uh, inside and out. And um, at the time we weren't working with an interior designer. And so the homeowner was just going out and picking things that they wanted, which sounds like a reasonable thing to expect. But mm. the reality of it now is um, there's so many choices so many products, so many manufacturers that people really get confused and they also don't necessarily have any expertise or training in how all the parts fit together yeah. into some cohesive whole. And so when we went through that project with them, I mean, we offered a lot of assistance that way, but we decided that we really needed to work with someone who was trained and professional, you know, really in that interior design aspect and bring that as part of our service uh, so that um, it was a complete service and that uh, we could get actually better results for our clients that way. Um, so, and just, so you sort of discover resources that you need and then there's the trial and error process of, of work, of putting a team together to actually work on the, work on the projects. Um, and you know, companies change over time. Yeah, for you sure. Know, you come to rely on this great plumbing company and then personnel changes and all of a sudden you find you can no longer rely on them. So mm -hmm. then it's time to find a new plumber and you sort of back to square one in the plumbing department for trying people out and trying to get referrals and uh, references for who you might replace um, them with on the team. Uh, you know, it's good to have an A team and a B team, but uh, we tend to just sort of have an A team and people that we go to, time and again, um, 
who understand what we want on a project and, um, and, you know, are sort of bought into our approach and they know they'll get repeat business from us as long as they hold up their end. Yeah. Um, and we sort of have that same approach with distributors too. You know, we're very loyal to our distributors as long as they continue to do a good job. And, uh, it's not like things don't come up, but, but how that they get resolved and how they get resolved, um, you know, is important to the relationship. And so it's really a relationship based, uh, approach to the whole thing. And, you know, we're not shopping all of our trades for the absolute lowest price because mm-hmm. we know we can always find a lower price. It's just, if, uh, the plumber doesn't show up in the middle of the project and do his job and get inspected and get out of the way, it can wreak havoc on your schedule. And when you're doing four or five projects at once on a schedule that everybody's, um, the different aspects of it all sort of have to dovetail, uh, it can get, it can spiral out of control pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. If, uh, you can't, you know, sort of rely on people getting things done within a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. That money you save with the plumber is lost when the project spirals out of control to, I mean, to, to a huge factor. So do you have a crew, uh, like a core crew or do you, is like the assemble the Avengers where you're assembling the right people for each project, uh, as they come to be, and you said you're running like three to five projects at once. Yeah. So we have uh, some people who work directly for the company. Um, I mean, right now that's four, four people and we have uh, supervisors who are, you know, trained to manage projects and manage clients, frankly. And those um, are the people on site that are managing the ongoing work as it comes together. Right. On site every day. They're also, you know, licensed construction supervisors and carpenters. And so they can do, you know, some framing work and some, um, finish, finish carpentry work and hang cabinetry and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. they also know what the trades installations should look like. They have all the information about the materials and the installations so they can oversee that those get done, set up and executed properly. Um, but they work directly, directly for us. Um, and then there's a couple, couple people we have who support them, uh, who are also employees. And then, uh, you know, we have some other resources we can bring to bear in that same capacity, uh, sort of as a supervisor, carpenter, overseer on a maybe smaller, less complicated project when, when we need more capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one that comes to mind was a former employee who moved a, a ways away. Uh, and uh, so he decided he wanted to do this on his own. Um, and so as an independent, uh, we've been able to, um, you know, get an agreement with him to be a separate contractor and uh, he'll come in and do a limited project like a kitchen or a bath or something when we need more help. And, yeah. You know, it's good because you can rely on them because you yeah, know the kind of work you're going to get. There's some continuity there because he has worked for us and, and um, yeah, he knows what we expect and he knows what he needs to do to hold up his end without a lot of uh, explanation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it seems like you've, you said you've been in business 34 years and you've found your niche and you're doing these uh, beautiful remodels, which are fairly large projects, I'm guessing, because the rooms don't look like that when you start, right? It's not, for the most part, it's not just doing that islands, but it's the whole room as you see it come together. Oh, um, yeah. The uh, before and afters are uh, pretty impressive contrasts. I bet. 
but that is a certain level of project in in your world of general contracting right so 34 years ago you probably wasn't that right there was probably a place that you had to start what was it like in the beginning of the company what what type of work were you doing that led you to where you are today well, yeah, it was uh, sort of catch as catch can in the beginning, um, you know. It always is, right? Uh, I mean, that's, I, that's the way it works. I guess. I mean, nobody nobody knows about you, and you haven't figured out uh, really what you're doing. Uh, so, uh, I mean, the company started as a partnership. Um, it was just me and one other guy who had been working for another company, and really, we went into business for ourselves because the company we were working for, you know, really had some challenges and struggles that, um, you know, sort of reached the point where we didn't want to be associated with the company anymore. Mm -hmm. And so we said, you know, we can do this better than these guys. Um, and, you know, so we went off on our own. Um, it was a big year for me, actually, because I started the business with my partner uh, I got married and I bought a truck. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, heady times. It's funny how often that comes up when I talk to people about getting married, starting the business, all, all sort of big life events that, you know, if you had your ideal planning, you'd schedule one at a time, but it, it rarely works that way. Right. I should have had a baby and moved and then it really would have right. been a, a complete year. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. And so we just, you know, my partner was uh, grew up somewhat locally, so he knew some people locally. So he would find some work, and I would find some work, and we were advertising in the newspapers. But a lot of the projects were uh, repair work, and um, you know, sort of whatever we could find. You know, we'd get the occasional kitchen or bathroom, and you know, we knew some people who would do some of the plumbing and electrical work, and we, you know, just found some resources and and made it happen. But uh, he and I both were working in the field. I mean, I came into this business from the trade end of things where I started out as a carpenter myself mm -hmm. and, um, and going into business for myself needed to become licensed. And so that's when I learned the, the building codes around, uh, the construction. And, um, so I didn't have a family at that time. And so, you know, we'd work all day and then at night we'd, you know, call people back and do the estimates and the paperwork and the administration. And, you know, I actually didn't mind working all day and then working until nine o'clock at night, you know, uh, punching stuff out on my yep. dot matrix printer with my, you know, computer. It was a newfangled device then before the internet really, uh, was, uh, um, uh, readily available to anybody. Um, and my, you know, it helped that my wife also was working professionally so that, you know, we knew that all our eggs weren't in one basket mm -hmm. uh, in, in the success or failure of my company. And so, you know, that was 1986 and in 1989, we sort of slammed into the savings and loan, um, debacle, which, uh, caused an economic downturn and, um, so it's just interesting to sort of uh, see how we were going to navigate that. Uh, and I have to give a lot of credit to the clientele that we had developed over three years because I felt like they sort of saved us by reaching out and having us do some additional work and sort of keeping us going. That's and, good. When it was yeah. harder to find new work, you could have some of that 
fall back because you had done a good job. Yeah. And so that was, I mean, that's always been our stock and trade, I guess, is, uh, uh, you know, reputation, doing good work will always um, lead to repeat repeat work. And yeah, it always does. Just do a good job. And then it's, you get paid rewards from that. But when the downturn happened, how did that, how did that hit you guys? Was it just a dry up of new work? What, what did you learn from that? Yeah, the new work, the new work dried up, uh, quite a bit. I mean, that wasn't, um, you know, as bad of a, uh, impact as either the burst of the tech bubble or, you know, 2000, 2001 or the housing crisis of 2008. Yeah. I want to talk about so, both of those. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a survivor, but, um, I mean, we did notice a little downturn in that we had to struggle a little bit harder. Um, you know, 1991, my first child was born, my oldest son. And since business was a little slow for me, uh, I became Mr. Mom and my wife uh, worked hard to uh, sort of uh, accelerate her professional career. She had gone and gotten a master's degree. And so she was at a higher pay grade than me. And uh, so, uh, you know, having my own business afforded me the lifestyle consideration of being able to. The flexibility to, to make Mr. it work. Mom. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. And then, you know, Interestingly enough, uh, five or six years later, when, she, you know, things were changing at her place of employment and her department was getting reorganized and she needed an exit out the door, mm -hmm. my company had grown to the point where I could say, okay, well, you can come work part-time for me and uh, I'll carry the load and you can figure out what your next steps will be. Sure. And, uh, you know, actually her next steps were to stay at home for the next 10 years or so and raise our boys and make sure they were squared away in the school system and all of that. And, uh, it does take a lot doing. of volunteering too, uh, in the community. So unpaid work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Work nonetheless. Yes, indeed. That's a nice thing that I've found throughout my whole career too, is having, having the business, it can come, it can come with some handcuffs, but it can also come with a lot of freedom to do things as they pop up in life. Like, a downturn leading to you or your wife pursuing something else and you staying at home with the kids. But the business doesn't have to, doesn't have to die with that because you can be agile. You can work at odd hours to get caught up on the quoting or the callbacks and you can, you can sort of make it work where if you had to punch a clock nine to five and be at a certain place, you know, for a certain set of time, then it wouldn't have worked. You, you couldn't have done it. You couldn't have pulled that off. You would have had to find a new job or, or do, do whatever. And you wouldn't be, here today because it can't evolve. It's not, it's not always, I write my business plan. I'm opening the door, starting the business, and then you go forward. Sometimes there's bad times. Sometimes there's great times. Sometimes there's just getting it done and making it through. And you've, you've been through three of those bad times now that you, you can't have not been impacted, right? Especially the housing bubble. That was that the worst one. Well, we were definitely impacted and the housing bubble, yes, 2008 was um, by far and away the worst. Um, and I just remember uh, after the uh, Goldman Sachs fallout, um, I, I don't think our phone rang for about four months. And I mean, literally 
it did not ring. There wasn't anybody trying to sell me anything. There wasn't anybody asking to buy anything. And I just remember this crushing silence in the office where, um, you know, the phone used to ring, uh, you know, many, many times a day mm-hmm. and just nothing was happening. Um, and, you know, having weathered a couple storms prior, as I mentioned, um, you know, I sort of felt like this too shall pass, but, uh, it, it took a long time. I it mean, did long after the, uh, uh, economists were saying the recession had passed, uh, we were still suffering the, the fallout, but I remember it being the same way kind of, um, when we came out of the savings and loan crisis that the newspapers were saying one thing and we started to see something a little bit different and it was sort of like, all right, these, the analysis and the reality are not always in sync. And also, uh, I think, you know, you tend to read about national trends and yet they're with a small business, you're dealing with a lot of really local conditions. Yeah. I remember that exact scenario. I mean, I remember hearing regularly about how it was over or the things were, things were healing, everything was getting better. And I was not hearing that from anybody, including my business and, you know, having luck with new sales or any kind of growth that we were struggling and it hurt us. And like you said, no one's selling anything, no one's buying anything. It was kind of a break, an unfortunate break. But yeah, I I remember thinking the same thing, like where, where's all the healing? How I don't, I don't see it happening. Yeah, there were some pretty serious wounds, uh, but I want to I want to back up a little bit to um, you know to go to the beginning where I was working in the field, um, you know, early on. Uh, there was a window distributor who wanted to begin selling installed sales, and so they wanted to have good contractors reliable contractors, professional contractors to do that work for them. So that probably to limit their exposure to liability and, yeah. and to make the new program Im- implementation go smoothly. Uh, so they brought in a, an industry consultant uh, to speak to a classroom full of contractors that they had chosen, you know, probably by their um, accounts payable and accounts receivable record. And, um, it was sort of the first education I had on, uh, business being in business. And, um, he came in and was just talking about, um, you know, how a business operates and, um, sort of a light bulb went off in my head at that point, uh, where I realized, you know, we needed to get on top of this, this business thing. My, my partner really wanted to just stay working in the field. The two of us, you know, it was a lot of fun and, and he loved that, but I could sort of now had a different vision for mm-hmm. where things were going to go. And shortly after, you know, so I started to try to educate myself more because I really loved the education that I got from that seminar. Uh, you know, ultimately the, uh, installed, uh, the dealer installed program uh, didn't go very far. They decided they really didn't want to be in that business, but um, it lit a fire under me. And uh, shortly after that, I read uh, Michael Gerber's E-Myth. And uh, that, I mean, it's a very simple concept really that he's trying to relate in that book. But, um, you know, he basically says that, 
you know, no matter what business you're in, you're, you're really in the business. You're not in the business of doing what your business does. Mm -hmm. You're in the business of being in business. And it, you know, it's a basic, simple concept, right? Takes a while to get it though. Yeah. Because, you know, we thought we were carpenters and remodelers and not business people. Mm -hmm. and, and really, if you're going to run a business and be a business person, then you have to know about business and all businesses on one level or another are really just trying to accomplish the same thing, you know, provide great customer service and, um, you know, put together programs that are effective and ultimately profitable for whatever the profit goals are for the company. So um, otherwise it's not a business. Not for very long. <laughs> right. right? And, and that's what happens actually a lot in this industry is um, I, I think the failure rate for contractors is uh, like one in 10 in the first year and eight in 10 by in the first five years. I mean, people don't survive very long. I think, do you think a lot of that is because they don't have the epiphany you had about the business and they're more, stitching together day by day, project by project, instead of having a bigger picture of to what they want to accomplish so that they're more living in the now and the project as opposed to pre-planning and being able to weather storms and get through things. Even if that storm isn't an economic collapse or a housing bubble downturn, even if it's just a couple months of bad sales, if you don't have anything, sometimes that's enough to take the business out. Oh yeah. I, I definitely think that that's it. And I think you know, I mean, I, I took to the business part and I loved that part. And I love that part to this day of like setting goals and then measuring against, you know, how you're doing against your goals, uh, whether they are customer service goals or profitability goals. Uh, and I think a lot of people, you know, that's not why they're, you know, to, to use this same example, that's not why they're in the trades. They like to make things with their hands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do too, but I just picked a different focus. And, um, but I think, yeah, I think that failure rate uh, can definitely be attributed to the fact that people don't understand that they're running a business and that they need to pay attention to certain things. Um, I, you know, a lot of people, don't want to pay attention to those things. Yeah. Like paying attention to being there three months later and having a good relationship with the person you just did some work for. That's, I think probably early on, if we go back to, you know, not the work that you're doing today, but when you're first putting the business together and you're uh, doing the work yourself and you're taking a job here, a job there, you know, fix this, fix that, remodel this. I mean, you, you didn't start out as a design and remodeling firm like you are today, right? You started out doing project work and, I'm assuming, but handy stuff, project work, fixing things. And there's a lot um, in your industry where people do that work claiming they can do that work and they'll come in and get paid and just do the least possible, sometimes not do the work at all. But then there's the people who come in and do the work. And those, we were talking before we started recording that I have a similar problem in my industry in marketing because people get burned all the time by people that don't actually know how to do what they're promising to do. Where uh, in your case, it, it happens a lot as well. So you have to, you have to put in a few years, I'm assuming, of, of being reliable, of being the person who does good work regularly and reliably, whether or not there's an easy out, you don't take the easy out and you do the right thing. And then after a few years, 
you start to have people that refer you and trust you because I mean, I know with contractors too, when I, when I do come across a good one and work with a good one, you want to hold, you want to hold tight to that and refer work to them because you want them to stay in business. You want them to be there because you can trust them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it does take a while to build a reputation and, you know, I mean, I remember starting out in business and being nervous about, you know, am I actually going to be capable of doing this project and do I have the resources and do I have the knowledge? Uh, I, I remember reading books and books and books on just the trades uh, itself and how projects are put together because I needed to educate myself uh, to have the confidence to go out and say, you know, yes, we can do this and we can do it right. Uh, and then, yeah, having a high level of accountability I mean, if you look at things from the client's perspective, you know, that's really what they want is, is someone they can trust and someone that will show up reliably, you know, keep a project on schedule and do what they say. And, uh, you know, it sounds simple, but um, it's not necessarily easy. It takes a lot of planning and a lot of oversight and a lot of persistence uh, to sort of keep a thing on target. Well, I think part of it's got to go back to what you said about having your epiphany and treating it like a business where eventually something has to click where every job you're bidding or every client you're looking at, you're looking at a future referral, you're looking at starting and completing a project and having it be something that you can point to as I'm good at this, you know, you should hire us because of this, where there's also a lot of people who are they want the down payment, maybe they'll start the work and then they disappear or they realize they couldn't do the project, but they didn't tell you that ahead of time. So they just, they disappear or they tell you halfway through, well, it's going to cost four times what I said, because I didn't understand what it was that we were doing. It, there's a very different way of looking at it where it's no one's fault or it's the homeowner's fault or you as a business have to carefully pre-plan for these things and do it because you want the outcome. You want the down the road. And I, I think that's got to be a differentiator in your, in your line of work is who's thinking about down the road and who's thinking right now. Yeah, that's, it's one differentiator. And, um, you know, I, I talked about, um, that first experience of being educated in business. And, um, I realized that it's, you know, I, I certainly can't claim to have done this by myself. I mean, I have had a ton of help along the way and I've sought, a lot of help along the way and really in trying to improve our service have just uh, undertaken a lot of educational opportunities sort of at every turn wherever I could. And so um, as I started to focus on the business, I worked with a, a designer <clears throat> who uh, really believed was passionate about design build and taught me a lot about how to operate that way. And, and, you know, the win for him was to have another contractor to execute his projects. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and, uh, uh, after that, I took a intensive three-year course in uh, sales training and it talks about just what you were talking about where, um, you know, really your best business is going to come at least in our industry from repeat and referral work. And you almost start at the beginning with the fact that, yes, I want to do a great job for you people so that 
at the end of the job, you have nice things to say about us and you tell all your friends and we're going to ask you to tell your friends at the end of the job. And it's kind of funny because, um, I remember, uh, not remembering to ask at the end of the job and having clients remind me that I'm supposed to ask and that they have somebody in mind. And so, yeah, I mean, if you start with the end in mind at the beginning, uh, even if you don't remember where you're going, sometimes people will remind you. Yeah. And we also were lucky to participate. And again, all these things cost money. It was an investment in the, our future and the future of the company. But, um, we participated in a remodelers uh, peer review group that pulled together a bunch of uh, non-competing remodeling companies from around the country uh, of similar size with similar issues. Uh, And we would all uh, on a rotating basis, visit each other's offices Mm. and look at each other's books and, and come up with improvement plans, process improvement and, um, in some cases, personal improvement plans for each other's companies and uh, write down goals and prioritize the goals and then meet six months later to assess how we were doing on those goals and what help we could offer each other. Um, so that was tremendously helpful. That's pretty great. You got to be ready yeah. to put your ego out of the way, though. huh? I mean, to not only to trust, but then to take that feedback of your you built this baby and then someone's going to come in and constructively, of course, but tell you what's wrong with it and how to fix it. That's well, it's, it's interesting how, um, resistant people are initially to that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember one contractor showed up and he, he had, you know, he said, how do you do your estimates? And he pulled out a yellow pad and, and a pencil and he said, this is how I do this. And, uh, you know, at that point everybody was using a computer. And, uh, so we said, well, you might be changing that. And he was like, no, I don't think I'm going to change that. But, uh, it, it changed. (laughs) Um, so that was, I was trying to grow the company at that point because, um, it it just was a goal to see, uh, if we could do that. It was sort of after the, uh, tech bubble, uh, recovery. And, um, we grew the company to about 10 people and, and probably doing four times the revenue we had done maybe five years before. Uh, and fortunately, because we now knew how to monitor the business and measure what was happening, we could see in 2007 that we weren't really going to have the business that we needed to sustain that model. And so after building the company up over the course of about six years, we started to dismantle it a little bit, cut it in half uh, restructured things a little bit. And then, um, in 2008, we had another round of that, uh, as things collapsed and we sort of had to hunker down, uh, and, uh, cover duck and cover and, mm-hmm. and, and hibernate for a few years to get through that. So we were down to a really small skeleton crew and, um, you know, but the, every, every, uh, bad thing that happens also gives you some kind of opportunity. And so there were, there was a lot of available labor looking for work at that point. Uh, and so we were able to outsource a lot of stuff and, um, you know, it was at the same time that I decided to go to Babson and get a master's in business. Just, you know, I had a lot of reasons for doing that, but one of them was to make sure I wasn't 
missing anything and to try to understand, you know, how to operate in this new environment. Uh, I also wanted to meet new and exciting people like yourself <laughs> and uh, some of the other people we worked with through that class. Um, it was a great program. It was a great program. And it gave me, you know, a very different perspective on uh, what I do. And I was able to learn about a lot of other industries and what a lot of other people do. And it just by looking at that gave me sort of a completely different perspective on on what I'm doing and how and why. And me too. It helped me a lot to deconstruct problems or, or issues too, to be able to think about them in a different way, sort of from outside where you could be um, more in control of, you know, breaking something apart and creating a solution as opposed to being uh, reactive or, or following. I don't, I don't want to say instinct. That's not what I mean, but it sort of helped me to separate myself from the business and look at it as business issues where before that I was always very, very, you know, personally and closely tied to it. But I, I wanted to ask you, you sound um, really open to change and to learning and always seeking it out. Is that, was that always the case? Like when you started the business, were you that way? Or is that something you grew into? Well, I think, um, you know, I think I, I have to credit my parents for that really. I mean, I, my mother was a teacher and, and I grew up, I think, in an environment where um, my, my grandmother used to say, well, you learn something new every day. And uh, I, I think, you know, that's sort of uh, how I've always lived. And um, my mother, as an example, you know, she retired from being a science teacher uh, at age 65 and decided she wanted to learn to become a percussionist. And so nice. Yeah, she's about to turn 86 and she still plays with the uh, American Legion band in her town. So um, she she did that successfully. And uh, I think she's always sort of had the mantra of, uh, you know, it's uh, never too soon to start and it's never too late to change. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I've, I mean, I've been fortunate to, you know, been to be exposed to different great educational opportunities uh, both early in life and later in life. And so, yeah, I'm a big, big proponent of that. And um, yeah, I don't think I ever necessarily want to stop learning. Although I, I tend to, you know, I don't go out on any big limbs and a lot of my reading has always been industry related mm -hmm. or um, uh, my wife, uh, criticizes me for not reading enough, uh, uh, great literature and, and, or even terrible fiction, but, uh, I tend to be more of a popular mechanic. I get the same uh, critique from my wife. Like, Why don't you read something for fun? This is fun for me. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. But, um, yeah, I feel like there's, uh, always, always opportunities. And, you know, now, I mean, I've been doing it for a long time. I have, hopefully learned a few things. And, um, so I've been doing a lot more teaching lately, um, and trying to give back. Um, I mean, another, another great resource for my business and myself personally has been the fact that there is a, a local chapter of a national association, uh, for the remodeling industry. And so that's a bunch of you know, remodeling contractors and affiliated businesses, uh, whether they be trades or insurance people or legal people. Um, 
materials distributors. Um, but that's been a great resource for me to, um, find help and get support. And so they recently started a mentorship program. And so I'm one of the mentors in that program, just oh, that's trying, cool. trying to give back to the industry. So what are you mentoring new, new people coming up, new GCs or, or yeah, anybody some, that's trying to start a business in the industry? Some of the younger members of the association that are, that are trying to figure it out. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's about a half a dozen, uh, business owners, uh, <clears throat> who are mentoring another half a dozen up and coming businesses. And, uh, yeah, so we've been just, just been trying to talk about what we've done and what their issues are. And we have sort of a structured program to go through, to touch on the various pieces, you know, the, the finance, the, the business planning, the, uh, marketing, the organizational structure, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, just help these guys sort of, uh, take a leap, leap forward. That's awesome. It, it, it's got to feel good, but at the same time, it's good for you. I think that you never, you never know anything as well as when you teach it. Cause you can actually look at every the subject from another angle. You have to figure out not only how do I do it, but how can I explain it to this person so that they'll understand it. And every time I'm faced with that, I get a deeper understanding myself of what the hell I was talking about. But yeah, I wasn't blessed. It's also interesting uh, because I don't want it to be a do as I say, not as I do situation. And so as we are, um, you know, sort of uh, foisting all of this uh, work and introspection on these other companies, it's sort of like, hmm, I could benefit from doing that myself. So I'm just going to do it right alongside them. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's the second year that it's happened now. And so it's giving me... Um, sort of a forced annual uh, renewal and review program, which maybe I was doing uh, less consistently uh, before that. That's another example of you being willing to change though and looking for opportunities to learn and get better. I think, I think, that's, I think that's awesome because it's key, but I can't pretend that I was as smart as you. I didn't always, I, I had to grow into that. You know, I, when I started my business, it was 19 years ago. And it was more hard charging. And I, I thought I knew the answers to pretty much most questions. You know, it was, um, I don't know, typical type A drive forward. And it took me some of the ups and downs. It took me some of the, you know, economically or with the company. And it took some lessons and some lumps before I started to let that part of me die and look to educate or become or partner or, or just grow. And uh, now I, I, that's my favorite stuff. I embrace it all, but it took, it took me a while to grow into it. I didn't, I wasn't as enlightened as you in the, in the early days. <laughs> I was more of an ass. Well, maybe you came from a place of knowledge in the beginning and I came from a place of ignorance and just needed more help early <laughs> on. I think I came from, a, I think it was more just combination of being driven and having an ego, being young. And I think that, for me, ego, ego started to die the older I got. And I don't mean go away, like not having confidence, but I mean the ego part, the thinking, you know, what's best that, that died over or, or started to at least sit in the back, you know, as the older I got and the more I had seen and the more I had been through and the more, uh, bad times that you turn good through whatever, through just clutching at things or working hard or figuring out new answers where 
it's, you know, my business is different than it was 19 years ago. It started out as a ad agency making TV commercials for small business where we don't really make TV commercials anymore. Cause that's not really a thing anymore. And before that we were a record label and making music videos, but then it turned into the ad agency and then it morphed into, mm-hmm. you know, really just digital and web and all of that. And then to where it is today, where we do web properties and apps and websites, but we're produce podcasts and videos and all kinds of stuff in the digital world. So it's, it's, I'm always having to relearn and not know what's next. And that was one of those things I, I had to come to grips with that. I'm, I don't have all the answers and I'm, I'm not going to, I just have to be okay with exploring the, the path, which took me a while to mature into that. Yeah. I remember that being one of the um, things that was emphasized. One of the teachings that was emphasized at Babson was that uh, things do not stay the same. And at all. you have to be prepared for things to change. And to the extent that you can anticipate how they're going to change and, and how you might respond to that, um, you know, will keep you ahead of the game and be an advantage. Um, but yeah, you definitely uh, can't stand still. No, you know, it's funny because that's come up with every single person I've talked to, regardless of the type of business or how long they've been in business, was that it change. Change is the one thing for sure that you're going to have to deal with. And you don't always get to govern the change. You get to react to it Rarely. sometimes. Yeah, yes. it's it, but it's always it's always new. It's not, you know, even even um, when you start to look at business education, much of it starts with a business plan and setting your five year goals and all of that. And I think it it paints the picture, at least in the beginning, that you you plan something out, you set the goals, and then that's just the way it goes. And it, that's almost never the case. It's it's you start and then once you're actually in business, that's when things start to change and you start to actually figure out what you might be doing next year because it's right. going to change. Well, you know, ev- everything in life is a wild ass guess, right? Mm-hmm. You, uh, you think you, you, you have a vision for yourself or your company or how things are going to go and you never know if things are going to go that way. I mean, fortunately, um, I mean, I guess depending on your circumstances, but things have a way of sort of uh, going the way you want if you uh, go after them. Yeah, if you work uh, for them. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they fall into place if you're lucky. Um, but really, uh, there's no guarantees in anything. And um, you can lay out a great plan and something like 2008 can happen. And um, it doesn't matter what what your plan was. And I mean, in fact, as a small business owner, we find that, you know, we're really subjected to the whims and arrows of uh, uh, <laughs> outrageous folly of uh, external forces, mm-hmm. you know, uh, where y- you really don't have any control over even how much work you have. And that, you know, some years you may have a ton of work and it's not because you did a bunch of marketing. It's just because that much work happened to come in. Yeah. And then, you know, everybody around you is doing great and you don't have that much going on because, well, you didn't get those two or three projects, you know, that you got the year before. And, uh, you're just sort of wondering, you know, what it is personally that you're doing wrong. And it really doesn't have that much to do with it. It doesn't mean that you don't have any control or you can't influence it. In fact, that's one of the best things about being in business for yourself is that, um, you can't get fired. And if, things uh i mean you can go out of business Mm -hmm. uh, you can run out of cash 
but you can't get fired. And if things aren't going your way, then uh, you can always ask the question of what do I need to do to compensate or yeah. how do I try to cor course correct? And, um, and you can change now. Yeah. You don't have to put a process in place to review it in six months to one day make this shift. You can just change right now. You, when you realize what's happening, you can make that deci that decision. And that's helpful. In small business, it doesn't even take a committee. You can no. just say, no, thank goodness. I am going to do this tomorrow mm -hmm. and you can make it happen. Yeah. So then 34 years ago, you start the business and you get married at the same time. How and, and bought a truck and bought a truck. I forgot about that part. That's an important one. And then, um, things progress. How long does it take you until you start to become a design and remodeling firm or at least what, how long does it take to get to the next phase of the business where I assume then you're having kids, you're trying to, I assume you want to spend a little bit more time at home or at least in the certain hours to be with the family as opposed to being at work. And how does the business evolve as your family, as your life changes? Well, I mean, for me, and I don't know if this is just coincidence, but it seems like it's sort of been like five-year increments, uh, sort of roughly speaking. Um, you know, started out working actually in the in the trade itself and did that for about five years and then started sort of working on the business um, when I got a little bit of that business education. And then we committed to differentiate ourselves Um by doing design build. And, um, that was a way of sort of separating us from the pack and providing a more complete service. So in some respects, uh, responding to wanting to make the business special, but also responding to what I was hearing from clients. In fact, I think I was directly asked by a client in 1995, you know, why can't you just design this for us and then make it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a year later we plunged into design build, just responding to that client request. And, um, so 10 years after I started the business in 1996, I had, uh, now two kids and I was Mr. Mom and my wife was still working in her career. And, um, so I needed to set some boundaries for my clients because if you don't set boundaries for them, then yeah, they'll, uh, set them. they'll set your <laughs> boundaries for, sure. for you. And there are no boundaries at that point. So, um, you know, I started, um, started limiting, uh, you know, my appointment windows. And, uh, I think actually it, it helped to make us appear like a more professional business because we wouldn't meet people in their homes at, you know, after dinner at night when they're trying to get their kids to bed or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Um, uh, and so we would limit our time to business hours and, and try to get clients to, you know, if they really struggled to find a time they could, they could put it, put an appointment with us with a doctor's appointment or something like that. But, um, it, just out of necessity, I needed to, you know, limit, um, how much I was working sort of outside of business hours because uh, we're trying to raise a family. Right. And, uh, and how much were you working while you're Mr. Mom? Well, you know, it was full time as long as we had the work. I do remember there was a year in there when uh, I did a lot of uh, early spring fishing. 
<laughs> locally because we didn't have much going on. Not not a uh, bad year, just not no. maybe not financially the way you wanted it to go. It's a bad year for fishing. <laughs> but uh yeah, so uh but I you know, I was working, you know, full time 5 days a week and our kids were in daycare and uh or or attending public school and um but I was trying to limit the, the weekend stuff and the evening stuff so that I would have uh, family time yeah. because that was important to me. And, uh, you know, my dad was a workaholic and wasn't around a lot. And I swore that I wouldn't be like him. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I have a little different perspective on that, uh, you know, at this point. But at the time, I was like um, sort of rebelling against my father and I wasn't, sure. wasn't going to do that thing. Um. And then, um, and my, but so my wife came and worked in my company and she's a marketing person. And so she instituted, uh, together we instituted a marketing program for the company, redesigned the logo, branded the whole thing and put that out there. And that was a big step for us in terms of our outward facing professionalism. Mm -hmm. And, um, she worked in the company for a number of years and then decided that she really needed to be home to give our boys the attention they needed. And I'd grown the company to the point where um, we could do that and rely uh, solely on the uh, income from the business. Uh, so um, we, we stuck with that for quite a while until we got the kids uh, sort of to where they were um, comfortable on their own. And, uh, then she went back to she went back to working. So you sort of flip spots after the five years. Then was it weird to get used to? Were you like going back to an office and and sort of how do you screw your head on differently? Going from balancing the the dad and working to the now it's my focus on the working and then I'll be dad because she's going to pick up some of the slack that you were doing. Yeah, it went. Um, Pretty fluidly. And I mean, I guess we did have the period of transition because when she was working for my company, uh, you know, she had more time to be at home and, you know, that was part, partly primarily why she left her professional career at that time was to be at home. And it's like, okay, well, I'm getting pretty busy at work to be doing the Mr. Mom thing well. So, uh, you know, I, sort of had a vision for the company and the company seemed to be following that vision to grow. And so that's sort of when I dove in head first and she actually bowed out of the company uh, completely to be full-time at home. So I knew that that part was covered mm -hmm. and we hired somebody to replace her administrative duties and so forth. And um, it's no small thing to know that the home is covered. It's, you know, my wife stayed home for the first 10 years with the kids too. And, it's a lot of work. I mean, and to try and put the pieces together, if you're both working, I, I hats off to people that making that work. Cause it's hard. It's especially if you have busy kids, which everybody does that as they grow and they have things that they have to do in addition to going to school, man, it's, it's tough. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it's also, you know, the most important thing. hundred percent. Yeah. And, uh, it's not always easy for kids to navigate the, the system and every kid is different and uh, we just found very quickly that we, we needed to uh, really put in a, lo a lot of attention there and uh, it was worth it to us to do that uh, as opposed i mean we gave up one income um 
and uh, so there were sacrifices there, but um, ones that we wanted to make. Yeah, we were the same, and I, I even do the same with my business where I'm I I have the luxury of my own schedule, right? And and there's a balance of getting work done and making sure everything's taken care of, but I have the luxury of it doesn't have to be at a certain time. So I'm always, I'm the dad that's at all the practices, all the events, all the stuff I play with the kids because I, I just, I, I feel really lucky that I had the realization early on that that's not time I'm going to ever get to do again. And I, I, I enjoy it. I, I want to hang out with them while they're kids and, and be around. And so I organized the business around it, you know, in the, in the last 10 years of, of making sure that as it continues to grow and move forward, it doesn't have to take over or monopolize time. Right. And I was able to do that same thing and I, you know, came to really value it. So, um, you know, now I have some, uh, people working for me who are a little bit younger and in that same position. And I'm, you know, they say, can I go to my kid's basketball game this afternoon? You know, I got to leave a little early and it's like, yeah, you have to go to that. Like, get out of here. We'll, right. we'll, we'll figure out, you know, we'll figure out the 40 hours later. Um, but I, yeah, I get the importance of that. And, um, I mean, that's a whole another aspect of this that I've had to learn. I mean, as a small business owner, you end up, you know, wearing so many hats and needing to know so much about so many different things. And there's the whole human resources aspect of uh, the human aspect growing. Yeah. Growing a company. I mean, I call it babysitting, right? (laughs) Because everybody's different and everybody has different needs and, um, come from different places and all of that needs to be sort of standardized and managed and, um, uh, in, in the kind of environment and culture you want to create in your company. And so, um, you know, that's just a whole nother area where, uh, <laughs> I received an education, um, sometimes the hard way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, me too. But I, I also think that that's one of the things about small business that that i love is the human factor is part of it so if you run a small business then and i mean it's not a blanket statement there's always people that are different but for the most part you're going to know and understand the people who work for you and with you and you're going to be you're going to be cognizant of their life external to work you're going to be uh, not just aware of it but supportive of it letting them go to the basketball i mean and not just letting them encouraging yeah of course be it be it that because they're going to be people that are involved in your life as opposed to if you um if you work at a fortune 500 company with thirty two thousand employees you know to go to that basketball game you gotta you gotta fill out this form submit it two weeks early have it approved by 16 yetis and it's just there's the, the, the human is taken out of it. And it's just a, because it has to be at that level, at that, at that size, where now it, whatever it is, whether it's a personal request or the need for a new stapler, it's a, it's just something that gets filed through a system where I, I, I think, and I think that's unfortunate. It's a reality, but there's a, there's some downsides to that efficiency in losing that human thing. And I think that's a good thing that small business gives is community because you understand and you, you understand who they are as people, not just who they are as employees. It's not just the 40 hours. Yeah. And it goes beyond the employees too. I mean, I said before that we had a really relationship based business and so it extends to, um, you know, pretty much everybody that we work with, when we find good people, we're very loyal. And and the more you work with people, the more you tend to find out, you know, more about their personal lives. And, 
um, you, you know, I, I have some activities on the side and one of them is playing in a local, uh, dad band and, um, you know, our interior designers come to uh, a few of the dad band shows that we've done. That's and, awesome. And I've been to my architectural designer's house for a birthday celebration at his house. And, uh, you know, so there's stuff like that where you're developing uh, community sort of uh, even outside of your immediate staff. And, um, y- y- you know, it's just great to have that network and that human interaction. Because, I mean, one of the things that drove my wife crazy about working in the small company is that there's not a lot of human interaction. There's not a lot of people to talk to, mm-hmm. you know, yes, you can build teams, but it's not like building a team of your own, you know, dozen staff members or something. Um, it's a little bit, it's done on a little different level. And so, uh, if you are really looking for that kind of human interaction, it's there, but you just have to develop it in your outside relationships. Right. Right. For sure. And the, yeah, I see that in, in my life too, where I don't have a office bustling with 500 people that you're going to have lunch with. And, and that's not your day to day. You're going to have to go see people, but you do. And, and they, your, your immediate team and then your clients and some of the people we bring on board, uh, contractors as well, all of that starts to be your team, but it gets, that's what I was getting at is that becomes ingrained in your life because now they're coming to see your dad band play, or you're going to a party at their house and now it's not just work, it's external to work and it's personal and it's part of your life. And it goes back to that whole fabric and community where I think that it goes a long way and it, it provides, I mean, it really depends what you're interested in as a person, but for me, it provides that fabric that I like in relationships where it's not, it's not, it's not one-sided. It becomes, it becomes more than that over time. Yeah. And, um, you know, you mentioned the clients and, um, you know, there's a number of clients that we've done sort of a project a year for, for six or seven or eight years. And so, you know, you really develop a relationship with them. And, and I think of them as friends as much as, as clients and you watch their kids grow up and, um, you know, if they're in the same community as you, you can talk about if you've been through uh, some of the similar child rearing stages that they're mm-hmm. in or whatever you can, you, know, you can say how that was for you. And, you know, there's a lot of bonding and, and advice and collaboration just on like getting through the day that happens with, um, that happens with your clients. And so, uh, that's a really fun part too, you know, but there's also a really, I mean, for me, a small company, uh, you know, right now we're six people. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of alone time too, you know, a lot of quiet time. And there's a lot of time when I just have to buckle down and it's like, all right, I, I have to go do that estimate, you know, and I'm only, I'm going to do that by myself. And I have to think through this project and Mm -hmm. figure out what it's going to take to get it done. Um, and there's a lot of just time where you just sort of have to buckle down and know that, you know, what's supposed to be happening out there, um, in the workplace is happening, you know, trust, trust the people that you're delegating to, to do what they need to do. And, um, then you do what you have to do, uh, to keep it all going. And really, you know, that's a whole nother level of accountability, just my accountability to my employees to stay ahead of them and keep this, uh, train on the tracks. Yeah. Keep it going along. What's the dad band called? Food baby. Food baby. How often do you guys play? 
Uh, well, we get together a couple times a month and play in my friend's uh, studio basement. Uh, but we've played out a number of times. Uh, most recently, we played at uh, the Christmas version of Earful, which is a program that happens in Watertown. Uh, it's called Cheerful. And uh, we uh, did a couple of... Uh, holiday related songs for that uh was sort of the theme of the evening but you know it was a lot of fun and it was a pretty well attended venue and we got we got people dancing so nice what do you play i uh i sing for the group and i play guitar and keyboards uh i mean i classically trained flautist uh so i i did not could do a little, a little ian anderson here or there or whatever but uh yeah no uh, uh we and we play covers and whatever our latest favorite song is but we also um we've written about uh maybe just just shy of 20 songs between us and uh so we're supposed to be releasing a recording of those wow yeah this cool. becomes a shameless plug for sure uh, that's for, fun for though food baby yeah. that's awesome so food baby is going to be releasing its first feature-length album ep yes. yeah <laughs> that's awesome you gonna do any videos to go along with it Oh, no doubt. I mean, there's nothing better than seeing a bunch of getting middle, at your YouTube channel men. going. Yeah. 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 You mentioned you have other hobbies. What else? What other hobbies do you have outside of work? Well, I mentioned the, uh, the fishing thing. Uh, I mean, I love to, uh, to get out and go fishing. Uh, what kind of fishing you like to do? Oh, we do. I do fly fishing and, um, mostly, uh, lake fly fishing. So dragging around in a boat, uh, it's, it's a favorite thing of mine and I don't love crawling around in a stream or something uh, i'd rather sit and be comfortable and uh cover a lot of water mm. and uh, try to scare up some trout or salmon uh, but i'll take a bass if it happens uh, and um, you know uh, my kids are now uh, out of school and and uh, sort of on their own and so that's given my wife and i a little more time to travel and uh uh, so that's been something that we've uh, been trying to do uh, when we can. Um, I play tennis to stay active. I belong, you know, just was fortunate to join a local club. And um, so it's close by and uh, get out there as much as I can to uh, move things around. Did you always have hobbies? Uh, I would say that I did. Um when I first started my business, there was so much work to do that uh, I don't know that there was as much time then yeah. for hobbies. And I sort of circled back to the music thing. Um, you know, we raised our kids in a local Unitarian church. And one of the things that drew us there was um, that there was an annual musical for the kids. And we just thought that was great uh exposure for them and it was sort of used as uh what do they call it the monkey's paw to uh draw people in mm -hmm. right um and uh we've come to love the church and the church has a lot of music going on in it and i saw a lot of people um doing that and enjoying it and thought you know i should i used to do that i should get back to that and so uh and my mother became a percussionist and it was like well is she in, in food baby uh no well she uh we should have her do a guest appearance i think though right that'll be on the second ep <laughs> right right that's coming but my oldest son uh took guitar lessons we gave him a guitar when he turned 12 because he was very musically inclined and he learned how to play the guitar 
quite easily. And I, so I was jealous of him and decided that I should learn also. Um, and, uh, uh, what I learned is I don't have as much natural talent as he does, <laughs> but, uh, I did learn, uh, how to do that. And I had played keyboards when I was a kid as well. So that was pretty easy to transition into. That's awesome. Yeah. It's good to have hobbies. I, and I never did early on. It was more, you know, not as work or what, or whatever, or whatever excuse, but now I have a lot of hobbies and I make sure to have time. That's not work. When I find too, all of my hobbies help me get work done. They help me like compartmentalize thoughts or I just, I, I come to realizations or decisions or things when I'm doing other things than focusing on work related to work or related to home or related to, you know, whatever it might be. But when you get when you get something like a tennis match and you're focused on it, because if you're not focused, you're going to miss the ball. It seems like it has an odd way of doing some closet cleaning in the head while you're, while you have that singular focus. At least it does for me. Yeah, no. And it's a, it's a different kind of focus, but uh, it's still focus. And I think, you know, that's probably one of the underlying um, fundamentals of, of all of this is that you have to be focused uh, in order to succeed and move things along. But Right. I mean, especially with the music, it's a completely different kind of focus. And I think, I mean, it feels physically feels like it uses a different part of your brain, mm. but having that escape from the kind of focus you need to run the business day to day or, uh, play tennis or whatever, uh, having those different forms of focus, um, definitely provides, uh, some relief. It does. It does. And it, it just feels welcome. It feels good to go do something else that's not related and can give you that, that level of focus. Uh, we're, we're over an hour and 15 minutes already. So I want to be cognizant of your time, but I have yeah, one well, more I've, question. I've, if you I've, have a few I've, minutes, I've learned so much about you in this conversation. <laughs> it's been great. I have one more question. You mentioned that your kids are, uh, off to the next stage of life now. So has it been another five year segment and are you now, reinventing yourself and in the business is there another stage or have you already landed and you are where you want to be well that's an interesting question and the answer changes uh, uh frequently but um you know i just turned 60 and i'm starting to think about you know what does the end game look like uh and i should probably already have an answer to that but i don't um and yeah, so it's been a, it's been a five year cycle, um, since my oldest graduated from college, but it's only, uh, recently that my second graduated since mm -hmm. they're five years apart. Uh, and my youngest is actually working in the company right now. Um, you know, I, he's local and it, uh, provides him with something to do. I don't know if he sees himself as having a future in the company or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do need to start to think about, um, what happens after, I mean, I, uh, in my mind, I'm, I'm doing this for another 10 years and then, um, you know, it could be time to, to, uh, to either stop or, uh, at least taper it down significantly. And, um, after having spent, you know, sort of 34 years on the journey and 24 years actively trying to create something and build something when we were growing the company, I definitely had the intention of building something that would be transferable to mm -hmm. someone else. Um, 
you know, and then 2008 happened and I wasn't sure anybody would want what I, what I had. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's been interesting because having gone through that process and then now having to, I, I mean, for a while I didn't have the heart to rebuild the company. And it's like, I, I did that. Uh, I don't need to do it again. I'm just going to sort of maintain a lifestyle business and keep it small and keep it simple. Uh, but then last year, um, again, by sort of the uh, whims of fate, uh, we more than doubled our revenue from what we had done the wow. year before. And I had to, I had no choice, but to build the, either reject the work or build the company back up and institute a lot of those processes and procedures we had in place when the company was larger. Yeah. Good problem to have. Yeah. They were all there. We could dust them off and, uh, clean them up and refresh them and uh, put them back in place. And so we survived that, which, um, I mean, is probably enough to kill some companies to, to realize that kind of, uh, growth shock. Um, but, um, I, uh, so I'm not quite sure where it's going to go. And I think, uh, you know, once again, I'll reach out for some help on that, uh, as to uh, what it makes sense to do, what my options are and, uh, where it goes from here. But, um, I, uh, I, I sort of see it, um, the next stage is being setting up that transfer and, um, or, or figuring out what it means to wind it down. Uh, yeah, probably depending what you want to do, right? So if you want to wind it down, then your options are going to be different. Maybe succession or you got to find out if your kids are into it versus selling, which you wouldn't be able to wind it down. It'd just be out of your hands at that point. So you got to figure out what's going to work for you before you can figure out what you're going to do with the company, huh? Yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes you you sell it or transfer it to someone else, but uh, it comes with the contingency that you're involved for, you know, sometimes an indefinite period of time until uh, you're really able to transfer the knowledge. And I think I would want to do that to try to ensure the success of the thing ongoing. Mm -hmm. I think that's an essential part of it. I don't think I could just hand this to somebody and say, you're now going to intuit everything that I've learned in, 34 years of doing this, um, you know, we'll have to work together for a while so that some of it rubs off. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's what I would be looking for if I were the person acquiring the businesses, some of that knowledge that comes along with it. Um, what was I just going to ask? It just flew out of my head. Um, you probably wanted to know, uh, how much I wanted to sell the company to you. For, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for sure. I have a number. I'll slide it across the table. <laughs> yeah, it is a dramatic glass table to make for a good effect. Um, so over all these years, is there one thing that you could, if you were to, if I were to ask you what, what's a thing you didn't expect about running a business? What was an aha sort of thing? What, what would that be that has hit you over the years when you started it, when you hung the the sign out and started the business, what did you not expect to, to understand or to come to know or to have as a challenge or a surprise or a benefit? Well, I guess I'm not sure I understood then, um, uh, sort of what a, uh, what a, uh, what a lifestyle it could afford me, uh, because it really has given me the option to either scale up or scale down depending on what was going on in the rest of my life. 
And uh, it fairly quickly became something that I wanted to stick with because I was independent and I didn't have to take orders from anyone except everyone, right? My clients, (laughs) my staff, my wife, everybody. Um, uh, But um, it quickly became a goal that it would sustain, you know, a lifestyle that um, I wanted. And that wasn't necessarily working 24 hours a day or killing myself for work. Uh, I wanted to provide for our family. I wanted to provide an education for them and a good foundation for them to um, become independent adults. Um, I wanted someday to be able to stop working and continue to eat. Uh, but above and beyond that, I didn't have big aspirations. And um, it really has been uh, a wonderful thing. I've met so many great people. Um, you know, my clients, uh, just are some great people. Uh, it's, um, allowed me to, I mean, I really have developed the business mostly in this very small new England community of, you know, four square miles on the map. And most of our work is in that area. So I have, you know, a very short commute. I spend very little time sort of getting from place to place. And so there, you know, it's just, been kind of this sweet spot that I sort of feel lucky to have uh, fallen into. Um, although I know it wasn't quite that quite that simple. That's one of my favorite things too is the diversity of our clients and the type of projects that we end up working on. It's so you know all the, it's all over the spectrum, and that makes it so interesting to go to work every day. It just keeps yeah. it it's it's fresh and it's not. I can't imagine. I just don't have the brain. It's not a strong enough brain to do the same exact thing every day. I, I would, I would implode. Yeah. It's very varied activity. And I say each one of our projects is a prototype, you know, because uh, every client wants something different and um, we can never sort of do the same thing twice. We can always pull little elements of, of things we've done before, but it's never exactly the same. Us too. Cause it's always, it's so varied that there, everything we, there's nothing off the shelf about what we do. Everything is a, you know, a sort of custom strategic answer to whatever the golden problem is for today for that client in that industry in the climate of today offering up that challenge where it's going to be different in a week you know it's it's that's what's so fun about it sounds familiar i did remember what i wanted to ask you you said your revenue doubled in the last year it was a unique problem to have did you do anything to spark that change how did how did that come to be well i think um again i would i think it has something to do with the maturation of the business in the community where um, we just have a reputation and some people turned to us and and liked what they heard about how we were operating. And so there just seemed to be sort of a perfect storm of larger projects that were sort of in our sweet spot Mm -hmm. of being able to design and build, you know, externally, there's some factors in that the economy was good and, we have all this growth around us in, in Cambridge. And so this community is, um, you know, desirable location to be in. And, uh, they're just, um, you know, a lot of professional people here, here, uh, housing stocks turning over. I mean, one of my fears was that as my kids got out of school and I had less sort of day-to-day contact with people in the community that, um, I wouldn't have maybe as large a 
potential client base mm. and that I might lose touch with the younger generation. And, you know, what I'm finding is our business last year came from a younger generation of new families in the community who found out about us. Uh, I think social media helps tremendously with um, sort of people networking on what's good out there. Yeah. And uh, so that's been something that's really really helped us that we've, you know, actively pursued, uh, a presence on. Um, but really I think, um, it was circumstance and dumb luck and uh, a little hard work all mixed into a pot, but, um, uh, it, it made for a great year. Perfect. On that note, let's, uh, put a cap in this. <laughs>